up. Here he comes. I think he's ready to do a show, ladies and gentlemen. Oh my god. Oh, he's looking so good today. Up, oh, and he's even smiling. It's so good because you're so angry, John. You're such an angry person. It's so good to see you this morning with a smile on your face. So everybody, let's welcome our host, Johnny Erez. Thank you, um, whoever you are, for that brilliant introduction. I am your host of the podcast that you're listening to, which is called The Views from the John. And I am John. I'm Johnny Erez. Thank you for, I was just going to say tuning in, but uh, there is no tuning in anymore. Thank you for pressing play. Thank you for opening up uh, whatever streaming service this is and pressing play. Thank you. I appreciate it. Oh God! I had a show. I had a show uh, this past Friday night, the night of the seventeenth of January, twenty twenty, at the Thrill Mill, here in Western Massachusetts, and I had a fucking blast, blast, so fucking fun. Um, I thought the show was a huge success. Um, I thought my set was decent. Uh, for me being a relatively young comic, um, could I have done better? I think so, only in my own head. Um, but, you know, people smiled, laughed. Uh, I think it went decent. I think I did a decent job. The rest of the comics, of course, on the bill were much more experienced than I am, and they were all just in the zone, fucking hilarious. They all killed. Uh, but yeah, uh, I had a fucking absolute blast and uh, I wanted to thank and give a shout out again to uh, comedian Tim Lovett, uh, who gave me this opportunity, and Comedy as a Weapon, uh, the comedy troupe that put on this show that also gave me this opportunity to open up. So I wanted to thank him and uh, everybody at Comedy as a Weapon um, for hooking your boy up with an opening spot on that bill. Uh, it, I had a fucking fantastic time. So... I wanted to give a shout-out to the other comedians that were on the bill with me. Lauren Kalane, Rob Santos, Doug Girton, Austin Apostle, Kim DeShields. Um, yeah, and, and again, Tim Levitt, of course, was on it. Uh, but yeah, I had a blast. I had an absolute fucking blast. Uh, Stand-up comedy has literally become um, my new drug of choice. It literally makes me feel high. Um, not a high like, uh, you know, being drunk or on weed or something like that or, you know, but it's just, it's just a natural high. There's a natural just body high. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if my body's being flooded with endorphins or dopamine or tryptophan or <laughs> I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about, but it's just, it's just incredible. I walk off stage and I feel like I just won the lottery. It's it's such a happy, great fucking feeling. Just uh, not only being up there on stage, but making people laugh, and then getting off stage, and you know, hanging out with the other comics, and you know, making friends and networking and stuff like that. It's it's such a great feeling. It's such a feeling of camaraderie and of uh, and of community and love and support. I'm addicted to it. I'm addicted to it. When I got home Friday night from that show, I don't know, I got home at like 11.30, midnight maybe, and uh, I was I was still on cloud nine. I was totally amped up. It took me forever to fall asleep. And then the whole day Saturday, I was just feeling on cloud nine. Just fucking awesome. Loved it. 
and then I kind of came back down to earth on Sunday. And uh, <laughs> I really came back down to earth because uh, last night I went to a comedy open mic uh, at Bishop's where I normally go. And uh, there literally wasn't much of a crowd there. Uh, not too many comedians were there. Uh, nobody was in a laughing mood, evidently. I had a bunch of new material that I was actually really <laughs> excited to do. And uh, I was third up, and the first two guys that went up just, you know, completely bombed, just absolutely fucking bombed, uh, just complete crickets in that fucking room. And then, you know, I knew, I think everybody knew, there was, we just knew, I was talking to uh, a new comic, well, he's not new, but he's new to me, we just made friends last night, a guy named Lewis, uh, he's based out of Worcester, Massachusetts, and he came into town for the mic. And we just knew before it started, just based on the fact that there was no people there. There were half the amount of comics that were normally there. So, yeah, this is what happens at some of these open mics, man, that you do. And everybody's got to do them. Even established comedians uh, occasionally do a mic. But this is where we start off, people. You got to get up on stage as many times as you possibly can, uh, you know, because the more you do it, the more you practice the better you get at shit, right? And that's exactly what uh, I got to do. I got to get up on stage. And I've been trying to every fucking night of the week. And uh, sometimes this is what happens, you know? Um, but yeah, I mean, when I say that I ate a fucking dick sandwich on stage, I am not shitting you. And this is one of the, you know, biggest, uh, you know, nightmares, I think, of any new comedian. And um, you really need to uh, not take it personally and not take it seriously. Uh, because, you know, when you go up there thinking that you're funny and that you got some really great jokes and you go up there and you tell the jokes and just people are looking at you like you got fucking three heads and you just walked off a spaceship, you know, and you're just like, holy shit, am I that am I that unfunny, <laughs> you know? Or is there something wrong with them? And that's when you... Just like you can't get scared in those moments when, you know, you think you're being funny and you're on a stage with a microphone and everyone's staring at you, yet nobody is fucking laughing. And in those moments, you just have to be able to laugh at the moment and be like, wow, you know, you, you, you cannot take it personally. You can't think you suck because of it. You know, it happens to everybody. Everybody that went up last night ate dick <laughs> and it's just one of those nights um i don't know um like i said i was really excited about some new material i had and i thought some of it was great but just the vibe in there just before anybody went up and during was just like i don't know it was like a fucking funeral parlor bro <laughs> it was brutal um you know i've done a ton of mics now and i got a couple shows real shows underneath my belt and uh, that was the most brutal I've actually seen any mic um, that I've been to. Not just there, but anywhere I've been. Just there were there were probably less than 10 people in that room. And nobody seemed to be in a laughing mood. And literally everybody that went up just ate their dick. Just It, it was just one of those hell mics, dude, where just nobody laughs. And uh, if you let it get to you, you know... You would, uh, I mean, I know people who have actually quit after having one of those type of uh, shows, 
you know, uh, and, you know, good thing it happened, uh, you know, to me at an open mic uh, where there was very few people there because God forbid I ever have a paying gig or even an opening slot on a bill and um, I do that. Uh, that's, that's, you know, that's a tough thing, man. So I don't know. Um, I'm hoping that it wasn't me because everyone else kind of ate their own shit too. Uh, but yeah, you, but you, you gotta be able to laugh it off. You really do. Um, and I'm even laughing about it today. Um, cause I, I knew going into this career, um, that, you know, there was going to be nights like that where, you know, you think you're funny and, uh, you're not evidently to anybody that's there. <laughs> so you just have to be able to chuckle at it and be like, well, you know, fuck, I tried and get in your heart, uh, get in your car and go home. And don't think another fucking, you know, bad thing about it because, uh, it's, it's another, it's one more night of experience underneath my belt. And it's a good learning experience. Um, I think for me, um, to have had that kind of a night last night because it gives uh, you an opportunity to write tags and, you know, what tags are, are basically a tag is, uh, you know, a side joke about your joke not working. So, uh, because none of what I did last night worked, I was able to write some tags for some of the material I did that I think is good and I want to keep developing. Uh, but in case uh, they ever tank again, you write a tag, which kind of just pokes fun at the crowd or you or a combination of both uh, to try to get a laugh out of the joke not working. So, uh, again... That's how I try to uh, look at life in general, you know. You're going to have good days and you're going to have bad. But even on the worst days, I try to pick up, you know, stuff that uh, you can learn by, right? We're going to step in shit sometimes, people. And sometimes it's going to be on purpose and sometimes it's not. But, uh, you know, we just have to learn from it, right? Now that you stepped in that shit once, you know not to step in it again. And if you do, hey, you know, it's okay. You know, you'll definitely not step another third time, right? Good shit, right? All right, so this, uh, fuck, sorry. I just hit the table with my sloppy, my sloppiness. Uh, this weekend, I am rolling into New York City. New York City. Yep, New York City. And uh, I've been telling you guys that I got some shit lined up so i'm gonna let you know where i'm gonna be uh let's see saturday january 25th i'm gonna be doing a five minute spot at the black cat les the pit in the village lantern and then on sunday january 27th uh the new york comedy club the lantern again the pit and then uh boogers at night uh, then on the 28th, <clears throat> excuse me, which is that uh, Monday, I'll be at the Patrice O'Neill Benefit at the New York City Center. And uh, probably going back to a couple of the clubs I'm doing Saturday or Sunday. And then that Tuesday night on the, fuck, I'm getting the dates wrong. Saturday's the 25th, Sunday's the 26th, Monday's the 27th, that's the Patrice Show. And then the 28th is the Tuesday. And uh, that Tuesday night at The Stand in New York City, 
uh, All Things Comedy is putting on a show that's got uh, Paul Verzi on it and uh, Dan Soder. And um, I recently was introduced to Dan, so uh, I don't know. I might stick around the city for one more night to uh, to hit that show up. I'm not sure. And so yeah, I'm really fucking looking forward to that shit. All right, I wanted to tell you guys a couple uh, funny stories. Keep this uh, podcast today short and sweet. Uh, forgot about this story until I was hanging out with my father the other night, and. Uh, you know, he doesn't remember the story. I'm sure I told him it back in the day. But uh, anyways, neither of us have very good memories. But um, it's kind of crazy because I've talked about uh, my paranormal beliefs and stories before, I think, on this podcast. And I said that I've never really had a paranormal experience, but that's not necessarily true. And this is where this uh, this is where this true story comes in. Um, true story. Uh, I don't remember what year it was. It was the early 2000s, but I, I rented, I, I did a year lease on a condo in a condo complex in western Massachusetts. Uh, two bedroom, two bath, eh, one and a half bath. Really nice condo. Really nice condo. Kind of a little bit out in the country and like the woods and shit, but you know, close enough to uh, the, uh, the downtown area. Um, really nice inside, you know, I was living by myself at the time, making pretty good money, you know, dating a lot of, dating a lot of ladies, playing in bands, all that shit, so, I'm living there, and, uh, from day one, especially when I was there alone, and at night, watching TV in that living room, and I can literally close my eyes and kind of go back to, uh, the way the apartment felt at that time, and uh, I can picture the way it looks. I can picture the TV being on. I can picture me you know, laying there on the couch in front of it and how I had the living room set up and all that shit. But, uh, you know, back then, I wasn't watching paranormal shit. I wasn't really into paranormal shit in my early 20s. Um, you know, I, I didn't know if I believed or disbelieved in ghosts. It, it, it never really fucking crossed my mind. Um, but yet, I never fucking felt right at night when I was like watching TV alone in that house and shit and but I never ever connected it with anything even remotely paranormal at the time and um there was even a couple times where I had some really fucking crazy like nightmarish dreams uh when I was in that apartment and I never I never ever have nightmares I had a lot of nightmares when I was like a little like toddler I think fucking age, but, uh, you know, I don't think I've had a nightmare in, I don't fucking, t 10 years, 15 years, I hardly even fucking dream, I don't suppose be everybody dreams, but I, I fucking never remember dreams, so anyways, uh, so yeah, I had weird dreams, woke up a couple times and in the middle of the night and kind of felt like I was drugged, even though I wasn't, kind of like I was hanging upside down, and then I would go back to bed, it just, it just fucking weird, you know? Uh, and then at some point, uh, my upstairs neighbor, who was a Vietnam vet with PTSD, him and I ended up meeting because, uh, you know, he could hear my toilet flush, I could hear his toilet flush, you know, it was one of those fucking apartment situations where, you know, the walls were super thin and 
sometimes he thought I was being loud and I wasn't, and he had to come down and ask me to chill out and blah, blah, blah. So we kind of got off on the wrong foot. But eventually him and I kind of became buddies. And one of the first nights that we kind of became buddies, you know, we were talking out in the hallway. And he's like, man, they had trouble selling this place or renting this place and, you know, whatever you did after what happened. And he's like, God bless you for moving in. And I'm like, whoa. I was like, what do you mean? What happened here? And he's like, you don't know? And I was like, no, I don't know. He's like, I was like, why don't you tell me about it, sir? And he's like, oh, boy. He's like, I always do this. He's like, I shouldn't have, I shouldn't open my mouth. And I was like, no, 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 no. I was like, tell me, what happened here? And he told me that the guy that lived there before me had blown his head off with a shotgun in my living room. Hand to God. And I was just like, yo, what the fuck happened? I was, he's like, dude, he's like, yeah, man. He's like, I guarantee if you were to pull up that new carpet, you would see uh, a huge blood stain in the fucking wood. He's like, I ain't shitting you. They didn't find the guy's body for like two weeks, evidently. So evidently, even though this guy's always home and he's a Vietnam vet uh, with PTSD, I don't know how he didn't hear a shotgun go off in my apartment. But yeah, evidently the guy took his own life with a shotgun in this condo I was renting. And uh, yeah, I didn't know it that, that, that that shit had gone down. So now I'm putting two and two together and I'm like, fuck, some dude committed suicide the very same place where, you know, I'm laying down and watching TV every night before I go to bed. And then I'm connecting it with, I fucking, I wonder if that's why I've always just felt uneasy in this fucking house or in this room. And, uh, but at first I wanted, you know, I didn't really believe the guy. I didn't say that to his face, but it's kind of an extraordinary claim when some dude comes over to your house and says, yo, you know what happened here before you moved in, you know, and tells you something like that. So I, uh, I went to the local library, you know, and you're like, the library? Oh my God, John, why don't you fucking Google it? You know why? Because Google didn't exist back then. The internet wasn't as prevalent as it is now. So I went to the library where I was able to, uh, use, uh, one of those fucking, uh, old, what do they call microfiche? We're talking old school technology here, people, uh, to look up, you know, old fucking newspaper articles. And uh, I found it, and it's true. Fucking couple of days later, I confirmed it with a newspaper article. So here I am uh, living in a condo where a guy blew his head off with a shotgun, and I've been feeling uncomfortable there since I had moved in. I think I had been there like maybe two months, and uh, now I knew why. And... Um, I found out that it is a law in the Massachusetts, the state of Massachusetts, um, that if you are selling or renting a property where somebody has died on the property or in the house or there has been any documented paranormal activity going on, you have to disclose that to the potential buyer and or renter. And uh, this dude never disclosed that. Um, the dude that owned the condo that I rented had owned it for like 20 years or ever since the condos were built. 
And um, the guy that took his own life in my living room when I was living there, um, he was just renting it. So it was this dude's job as a landlord to tell anybody that he was going to rent that place to what had gone on there. It's Massachusetts law. And this guy didn't disclose that. So I was able to get out of my lease, get my deposit back, and I moved out of there. So that is a hand to God true story. Um, a dude took his life in the apartment or the condo that I was renting and, uh, the renter never told me about it. And from day one, I felt fucking weird in that place. And, uh, that's why. So if you don't think there's some kind of connection, uh, to an afterlife or to that kind of shit that lingers in this life when that shit happens, there is, I experienced it and I experienced it before I even knew what paranormal shit was. And that's an honest-to-God true story. So if that doesn't convince you that there's a little bit more to the world than meets the eye, I don't know what does. Because I started off a hardcore skeptic. I still am. But that's that's a true story. And uh, look at the fucking proof I just backed it up with. All right, something more uh, titillating. <laughs> um, I think I might have told you this, but, you know... Had YouTube existed 20 years ago, or a lot of this shit that existed... Uh, today, if, if that had existed when, you know, I was back in high school with, like, my comedy troupe of friends, um, man, I think we could have been, you know, like, the first jackass guys, or, like, the first, or, or, or something, we were doing wild shit, um, I, I was a child, uh, that was, I guess, starved for attention, I was always the goofball in any class I was in, all throughout grade school, uh, didn't matter. Kindergarten, right through twelfth grade, I was the I was the class clown. Um, I was always looking for a laugh, always doing a bit, you know. Um, and I was pretty good at it. I kept going because people were people were enjoying uh, whatever I was doing. And um, I can't say that I was uh, that I was perfect. Sometimes I would say things that uh, that would probably get me arrested or my ass kicked uh, today. But, uh, you know, things were a little bit different back in the 80s and 90s uh, than they are today. Um, you know, uh, but, you know, it is what it is. So one of the things I was thinking about recently, because it's just so ridiculous, is, uh, and I have a million of these stories, but uh, anybody who's ridden a school bus can probably, you know, relate to this, right? School buses don't have hubcaps. They just have steel wheels and a tire. I think most people are aware of that, even if they don't know anything about buses or cars, right? Buses don't have hubcaps, okay? So this is a true story. I don't know. I might have been in fifth grade, sixth grade. It could have been ninth grade. I don't know. But I was riding a bus home. It was one of those big, full-size, regular yellow school buses, and I'm in the back of the bus, and we're going down a bumpy road, and I take my hand, and I make a fist, and I I hit the side of the bus from the inside of it, from my seat, like the metal towards, like, like above the window. I hit it really hard with my fist, so it made, like, a pound noise. And then I yelled to the bus driver uh, that they lost a hubcap. <laughs> and she's like, oh, shit, and she stops the bus... And she gets out, and she's looking all around the bus for the fucking hubcap that she lost. And everybody in the bus is just fucking 
dying because even us kids we realized that that buses don't have hubcaps but i just made the about perfect the perfect fucking noise with my hand that like made it sound like you know she had just hit a pothole and that, and that the bus lost the fucking hubcap uh, that was great uh, so much shit that happened in my childhood, people, just would not fucking fly in today's environment, like, uh, Ron the bus driver, um, I think I could probably ask, uh, a lot of people that I rode the bus with in my school days, and they would know the name Ron the bus driver, he was a character and a half, dude, um, year-round, uh, Ron the bus driver would wear these big black moon boots. Anybody remember moon boots? They were like these uh, knee-high boots that looked like astronaut boots. They were the most god-awful fucking looking things. He would wear moon boots, these big black knee-high moon boots year-round with uh, ultra-tight gray sweatpants tucked into the boots and then a really tight black sweatshirt he had black, greasy hair, mustache. He was pretty overweight. So that was Ron the bus driver. He was just, he looked like he was just, you know, the most, he looked like he was just, you know, 22nd generation white trash, fell out of the white trash tree and had every fucking branch coming down it. You know, just a total fucking wreck. The guy hated his life. He hated fucking kids. And, um, so here's what Ron the bus driver would do. Just some of the, some of the silliness shit. Um, Ron loved it. Ron had a bunch of catchphrases, and Ron wouldn't. Uh, Ron wouldn't take any shit when he was driving the bus. Ron liked to. Uh, Ron liked to slam on the brakes anytime anybody on his bus got a little out of control. And uh, he didn't like people, you know, standing up. He didn't like people yelling, fighting, or nothing of that shit. And he would literally, he would, he would slam on the brakes, and he would, he would pick his head up into that, that fucking giant rearview mirror, you know, that the fucking bus drivers have, where they can see the whole fucking kids in the bus. He, he, he'd fucking jab on the brakes. Everybody in the bus would like slide forward, and he'd fucking pick his head up, and he'd be like, "Sit down, sweetheart." That's exactly how he'd fucking sound. That that was one of his fucking catchphrases. He'd be like, sit down, sweetheart, if it was a lady. And then he'd be like, sit down, slick, if it was a dude. Everybody was slick if you were a dude. So he'd be like, sit down, slick. Sit down, sweetheart. <laughs> the fucking guy, he'd... Uh, you know, there would be times he'd slam on the brakes. He'd put that shit in park. And then he'd fucking come down the aisle and the guy's like, uh, you know, like hyping himself up. You know, he's like beating his chest, you know, getting himself all fucking hyped up. Oh, my God, man. Ron did not fucking take any shit. Um, man, it even got so bad with my behavior one time. I was I, I was actually kicked off the bus. Um, I'm trying to think why I was kicked off the bus because it wasn't the first time I had trouble on a bus for... Uh, you know, making hubcap noises or getting Ron pissed off. Um, why was I kicked off the bus? Was that the, was that the, uh, fuck. I should have called my buddy Brian. He remembers all this shit. Um, fucking, uh, 
I don't know. Uh, I'm trying to think. I think it might have been, you know, that same guy, I think, that threw me off the bus that got me in trouble. He actually bought me a card for my fucking birthday. Isn't that fucking amazing? Hand to God. I don't remember the bus driver's name, and I'm honestly stalling here because I don't even know if I want to repeat why I got kicked off the bus. It's terrible. Uh, But that same bus driver that drove that bus, um, I remember this shit. He actually got me a card on my fucking birthday, and I think this was 7th or 8th grade. Isn't that amazing? So the same bus driver that threw me off a fucking bus uh, for a week, and uh, my parents made me walk to school, and I and I lived uh, I don't know like f- like five miles from the fucking school. Swear to God, tough love. Wouldn't let me ride my bike. I had to walk there. It was at least five miles, and that was my punishment for being kicked off a bus. You know, but in hindsight, how embarrassing is that? You know, as a parent, when you have a kid, you know, that acts up in school and gets kicked off a bus, it must reflect poorly on the parents. And that's shit that kids don't think about at the time, you know? My parents were were and are uh, just fucking great parents. I was lucky to have uh, parents and good parents that gave a shit about me and uh, tried to instill some, you know, some sense in me. But I was not the most well-behaved kid in school, and it had nothing to do with how my parents raised me. I just wanted attention. I loved making people laugh, and it's just, you know, I still do, you know. And I did it from fucking kindergarten through 12th grade, and why I just didn't roll right into fucking stand-up comedy, I'll I'll never get. I was talking about it with this guy last night uh, that I met, Louise, and... Um, you know, he was the same way. He's 46, and he started, uh, what did he say, a couple years ago. I'm 41, and I started when I was 41, <laughs> you know. But, you know, look at all the times I got in trouble throughout high school, and it was always for being the class clown, making the class laugh. And I used to fucking murder it, dude. But it was at, you know, pe- you know sometimes it was at the expense of uh, someone else, you know, and... Uh, you know, that's not a good thing, but, uh, you know, back then it was, oh, it still is, it was, it was just for a laugh, but, uh, what I was, like, talking about with, uh, with, uh, Louise last night was just, um, I don't know, I guess back when I graduated high school in 1996, um, the world was different, um, anybody who was a famous comedian was so big, uh, because there wasn't really the internet was just starting. Uh, a lot of people didn't have home computers when I graduated high school yet. Uh, the internet was around, but it wasn't very big. Uh, you know, uh, YouTube wasn't around. Social media wasn't around. Um, so in order to be a well-known comic, you had to be um, Andrew Dice Clay. Uh, you had to be um, George Carlin. Um you know, all the greats, as I'm drawing a fucking blank. No, seriously, I mean, what, uh, Eddie Murphy, Eddie Murphy, George Carlin, um, you had to be, Andrew Dice Clay was huge back then, uh, you had to be at that level, and, uh, I don't know, I just, I just, I did, I had no idea that there was anything called an open mic or how any of these guys possibly got their start. 
it it was the furthest thing from my mind that you know whether you were George Carlin or you were Eddie Murphy or you know any of those guys that you know they were once just a regular dude too until they started doing comedy I, I don't know I just thought maybe there was a magic fucking fairy that went around and just said okay I'm gonna make you a fucking famous comedian and just waved a wand and you know there was Andrew Dice Clay I, you know it did not fucking dawn on me that these guys had to start doing it and you know doing it and then did it for years and then built up an audience and started touring and all that shit I had no fucking clue so if I just had a little bit of knowledge or a little bit of guidance to have somebody tell me that, dude, you've been trying to make people laugh your whole fucking life. You've been in trouble and been suspended from buses and schools for doing comedy. You can do comedy for a living. There's something called an open mic. Uh, you can move to New York, and this is how you get going in it. That information was not out there. I had nobody that fucking gave me that information. And it wasn't until, like I said, recently, over the last year, that I started learning, um, you know, just how people in comedy or the people that get on SNL or, you know, Adam Sandler. I had no, you know, I had no fucking idea. I just thought, you know, I just... Even though I've been a musician my whole life, and I've been in bands, and I've toured the country, and I have multiple albums out, and we're signed to a record label, um, it never, I never thought that, you know, being a comedian or a performer was the same pretty much as the music business. It's just except as, except you're just doing comedy instead of music, and you're one person as opposed to a band of four or five. It's really no different. You start off doing local fucking shit. You know, I just, it never fucking clicked with me. And, um, yeah, I guess I can't call it a regret because it's not like I had a choice. I just, uh, I just wish that there had been somebody that could have come along and said, dude, you realize you could do this shit, uh, you know, locally around here on the side, you know, at age 18 and fucking try your hand at comedy and, you know, stand up and see if it works. Never fucking dawned on me. I had no idea. I had no idea there were open mics and that there were opportunities. I thought you had to move to New York or Los Angeles and fucking literally know somebody uh, to do any of that shit. I had no idea. So now I know. And now that I know, uh, despite my age, um, I'm doing it. And that's another fucking misconception, dude. Honest to God, when I was fucking 20 years old, I thought people who were 30 were just fucking ancient just ancient, like their fucking boobs were hanging down to their knees, and that, you know, their vagina had, you know, you you know, like had dust in it and shit, I had no fucking clue, no idea, I thought people that were 30 would be wrinkly and just fucking, you know, just, just wrecked, and then I turned 30, and I fucking realized that my body and my mind was no different from at 18 years old, but at 30, I was still naive. I thought 40 was fucking now ancient. And I thought people who were 40 were then the old wrinkly crusted up ones. And then I fucking hit 40 and I'm and I'm looking at myself, you know, right now and I'm just like, fuck, I still look fucking pretty good. I'm not wrinkly. There's a couple weathered lines in my face, you know, but fuck, I'm 40 years old, you know. But in terms of like, you know, of... You know, I don't know. I just had such a jaded look of, you know, people who were, you know, 10 plus years older than me. I, I, I literally thought 30, 40 year olds were just all wrinkly, just fucking gross <laughs> and literally were not. So get that conception out of your head, ladies. If there's any, uh, you know, 25 year old ladies that that, uh, you know, don't 
you know, that think men who are 40 or even 45 that, you know, somehow we're all wrinkly and crusty and smelly and just fucking old and shit with wrinkly old fucking balls. And I'm telling you, you couldn't be further. That's not it couldn't be further from the truth. We're really we're really no not too much different from our 18 year old selves. It's just uh, we have a lot more common sense and experience now. So, uh, you know, don't be ageist people. Don't hate somebody just because they're old. Okay, I might be 41, but you know, please don't hold it against me. Okay. All right. How long have I been talking shit for? About 35 minutes. Uh, the only other thing I have written down, uh, and it's not very funny, but um, I I got into a a uh, special kind of uh, group chat or a group text message that goes on with, uh, you know, people with different uh, political views and standpoints. And uh, my buddy Mark P, who was on the uh, podcast a few episodes ago through Gray Eyes, uh, he's part of this, uh, you know, chat or whatever the fuck you want to call it. It's just a group text of people. And, you know, Mark's in it and I'm in it now. And uh, I don't really know the other people in it. But, uh, you know, somebody will toss out, uh, you know, hey, what do you think about this, this and that with politics and the government and blah, blah, blah. And then we'll start, you know, we'll start having a group a group chat about whatever that, uh, you know, topic is. And, uh, you know, there's been a lot of chatting going on since I joined that group uh, 24 hours ago. And, uh, you know, uh, it. It's been it's been really interesting, uh, to say the least, and uh, I'm actually learning a shitload. Um, I'm an open-minded person. I've explained this time and time again. I am not political. I am not left. I am not right. I am not a conservative. I am not a liberal. I am not a fucking evangelist. I am none of those. I do not identify as any political party. And I'm going to tell you this right now. I think Donald Trump is a douchebag. He is a douchebag. Okay? You cannot fucking argue with me that the guy acts like a douchebag. However, however, if you look at the uh, U.S. economy right now and the things that he has put into place and shit like that, things are pretty stable. You have to look past the angry bullshit that I've kind of been caught up in a little bit lately. I've never given a shit about politics my entire life. I've told you guys this before. It wasn't wasn't until recently that I even cared or gave a shit to even understand what left and right even meant. I had no idea what a definition of a Republican or Democrat was. When I voted for Barack Obama in 2000, what was it, four or eight? I don't know. Um, I had no fucking idea at that time, hand to God, that he was Democrat or Republican. I just liked what the guy had to say, and I like what he stood for. Sorry. Now, I didn't agree with a lot of the things that Obama did as a president. However, Obama acted on so well, he, he, he didn't even go on social media. My point is that you cannot tell me that Barack Obama didn't at least act and come off like a real U.S. president should, right? But his policies and some of the shit he did, I really didn't fucking agree with. Now, the way Donald Trump acts, he acts like a buffoon, dude. You cannot fucking argue that. But in terms of 
the country's stability right now financially and the job rate and that kind of shit, you know, there's pros and cons to everybody, people. So I'm not going to sit here and say um, that I get all angry and I hate Trump, you know, because I don't. What angers me is the people that are constantly angry at him every day and then they kind of bring that into my life. There's a reason why I don't watch the news. I don't need the drama and I don't buy 90% of it. A lot of it's blown out of proportion. There is a lot of us out there, including me, including me, that are uninformed about a lot of things. We form our opinion based on stuff that we hear and stuff that we see. But the stuff that we're basing that opinion off of might not be right in the first place. And when it comes to politics and exactly what Trump is doing or what he's done or how racist or unracist he is or whether the government's racist or however much you want to bring in race or anything else into the conversation about Trump, there, there is a ton of bullshit to weed through. A ton of it. Okay. The pendulum seems to swing back and forth uh, between left and right and left and right. You know, the country used to be way right, and now it's like uh, the left is really out of control and kind of need. There's a middle ground, people. That's why I don't take a political designation. There are literally pros and cons to everything. There are things about Donald Trump I hate and things about his policies or things that he's done that I actually care for. But it's the same thing with fucking Barack Obama. I voted for him twice. I had no idea whether he was Republican or Democrat. There's shit I liked about him and things I fucking didn't like about him. Uh, but it's no different. It's not like we're going to get a new president into office and all of a sudden everyone's fucking lives are just going to instantly change for the better. Okay? If uh, if some ultra-left uh, uh, person gets elected president, then then, you know, who knows? Do you have any certainty in your mind that uh, if fucking Biden became the next president or, uh, you know, whoever else, that all of a sudden just everything is going to get better? It ain't. It's a myth, people, you know. Um, so I don't know. Trump is an easy target to make fun of because of some of the stuff he says and does and the way he argues with people on Twitter and stuff like that. He's an easy target. But I can't sit here with a straight face and say that uh, he hasn't at least put some good things, I guess, and, uh, you know, and that's my point of this uh, new chat group uh, that I'm a part of. Um, there is a guy that is a member of this uh, chat group uh, who is has literally dedicated his life the last several years to studying all things politics, and he comes at politics uh, unimpeded, meaning he's not left, he's not right, he, he's, he's nothing. He just reads and studies every fucking thing, everything. He is the most knowledgeable person I have ever come across in my life. He thinks Trump is a douchebag, but he also gives some great things he's done and some shitty things he's done. Same with Obama. He can do it with, with fucking anybody. The guy talks with a lot of sense. And um, one question I asked him, okay, is, and I've said this before on the podcast, um, you know, I don't know. I, I don't know if there's anybody out there who is going to be able to run against Trump and beat him, okay? As angry as a lot of the left is at Trump at being in office, the left or even uh, other Republicans, I don't think there's a strong enough candidate that is really pulling in, you know, everybody uh, to the point where they're going to get more votes than Trump. 
Okay? Now, I'm personally fine with Trump remaining in office. However, I'm also not, you know, I'm kind of middle ground when it comes to a lot of shit here, okay? Uh, like I said, I see pros and cons to a lot of shit. Um, so, what I was trying to say before is, you know, I would like to see in some instances, or in most instances, Trump out of office because uh, not to make America great again, but to make America kind of sane again, especially in the area of the Northeast that I live in. It is very democratic, and the Democrats right now are not happy about Trump being in office. They are, you know, it's crazy. Um, and I don't stress about politics because there's nothing I can fucking do about it. And I try not to stress about shit that I have no control over. And uh, there are a lot of left people in this area who have been very cranky since he's taken office that just uh, that just can't just, you know, can't just relax a little bit. So my question to uh, this, this guy who's so knowledgeable about politics is I said, um, is there a candidate running who's... Republican or even Democrat that could um, act more like a president should than Trump, but yet will keep the good things Trump has done in place and then approve upon other areas. And he was like, yes, there's one candidate, but nobody is really pushing her. And that is Tulsi Gabbard. So I encourage you whether you like Trump or you don't like Trump. And if you don't like Trump, who do you plan on voting for? Look up Tulsi Gabbard. Go to Tulsi's website and read up on her. Um, I'm doing that right now. I'm not saying she's going to have my vote. Um, I don't know who I'm voting for at the moment. But um, if getting a new president into office means people around here can fucking just relax and stop crying about fucking Trump, then, you know, I'm all for it. So that's why I asked him the question, um, is there a candidate that will make the left relax, but yet will keep the right happy as well because they're not going to fuck with the good things that Trump has done and they're not going to come in and take anyone's guns or drugs away or, or whatever the fuck the right is concerned about, right? And he's like, yeah, dude, Tulsi Gabbard. And he can't really figure out for the light... Well, I don't know. I'd have to go back and reread this. This was all late last night. But he... Um, he was, I guess he was kind of scratching his head uh, because of how much he knows about politics and knows about Tulsi Gabbard. Tulsi Gabbard is a Democratic uh, uh, 38-year-old, um, I believe, senator or uh, representative from Hawaii. And, um, you know, evidently she is the right mix if you're neutral, if you have a middle ground stance, if, you, if you're not Republican or Democrat, if you can kind of see the good and bad in both here, she's kind of the middle ground that I guess will keep some of the good things that Trump has done in place. And, uh, you know, um, then look, we have a we have a our first woman president, which should make the left happy. Correct. So maybe Tulsi Gabbard can be a win-win. It'll make the Trump haters relax because Trump is no longer in office, but yet the right won't go fucking crazy because now there's a Democrat in office, okay? I'm just trying to say, people, 
if we want to come together, we have to meet in the middle. Life is a two-way street, okay? Anytime something goes wrong in your life, you have to be able to look at yourself in the mirror and say, shit, did I contribute to this problem at all? You know what I'm saying? Hindsight's always 2020. Uh, you know, try to have that 2020 vision before it gets to be hindsight, you know? And that's just it, man. Life is a two-way street. There's pros and cons to literally fucking everything. You got to, you got to be flexible, man. You got to be open-minded. Um, that's why I just, I don't understand how anybody could just sit in the far left or the far right or even be left and right, you know? Because literally, because, I don't know, I, I, I guess I don't understand how you can just choose to be Democrat or choose to be Republican and just, and just stay in that one train of thought, you know, never considering anything else but the Republican way or the Democratic way, you know, I mean, it's, 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 let's meet in the fucking middle here, dude, and just, you know, just squash this shit, you know, does it have to be this fucking difficult? I don't know. Food for thought. So that's going to do it for today's podcast, everybody. Thank you so much for hitting the play button. Please like and subscribe this uh, video, podcast, uh, whatever, if you haven't. And uh, I love you all. Thank you so much for supporting me. This has been Johnny Eras and another edition of the Views from the John podcast. We will talk to you uh, uh, maybe, maybe early next week. I think I might do a podcast from New York City. So stay tuned for that. Thank you, everybody. Love you. Yo, Johnny! I'll see you in the next life!